Hello and welcome into Inside the Pylon, the podcast. Chuck Zada and Mark Schofield here. Full show for you today on our extended midday, midweek, whatever you want to call it. Our midweek version, I think, is probably what it is, Mark, since it is our hump day show. It's the hump day show. I think that's what we'll roll with. You know that I occasionally struggle with words, but this is uh, unfortunately a spoken show. So we are on the hook for the next uh, 40 minutes or so. Uh, as we said last week, we can fortunately put any singing in our rearview mirror at this point, Mark, off the hook. We're off the hook for now. Um, I think we'll probably bring that bet back, although I got to say I had some family members honestly giving me a little uh, – some stick, as they would say, across the pond uh, for my horrific performance. They were fans of what you did, but not thought, fans of me. I thought there was a chance you were going to have a Grammy nod. I'm not going to lie. Did I, they do – Things like, you know, the National Lampoon, like worst of the year. Do the, the Grammys have that category? Because if that if they do, then I could have gotten a nod. I would have thought, you know how they have, uh, you know, for the uh, the Oscars, they have, you know, best adaptation of a, of a book or whatever it is. I like forget. best adapted screenplay? Yeah. this I figured this could be kind of like best adapted Schofield. You know, it's, it's something I like, I, you're, you're, I you're, you're your own getting... category. I don't even think I get nominated for best adapted Schofield. I mean, my brother's pretty good. He's probably a much better singer than I am. It's a high bar to uh, climb over, it but is, it is. let's uh, let's do a little bit of football here. We do have a pretty full show. Uh, we wanted to start off with a little bit of talk on an ITP glossary term, uh, a term that we threw out there last week in the glossary. Uh, the term is hitch step mark, and it's one that, to be honest, before you wrote about this, I didn't actually know what it was. So educate me. Sure. And this is actually one that was submitted by a Scouting Academy student, I believe, um, right before the holidays. Um, as our listeners and readers know, we're doing the glossary is sort of in conjunction with the fine folks over at the Scouting Academy, including Dan Hatman, uh, the director of the Scouting Academy, as a way to sort of help educate our readers and their students as to some of the terminology of the game. Quarterback hitch step, it's part of the footwork process. Um, usually used on a five or a seven-step drop, a deeper drop, um, where when the quarterback hits that last step, either that fifth step or that seventh step, or sometimes a third step if it's a shotgun drop, rather than staying planted and starting to throw, which that's a different term called hit and throw, the quarterback will like bounce forward a step or two, and that's the QB hitch step. Basically what you're doing as the quarterback is you're transferring the momentum forward to start to throw. The hit step is used on plays when timing isn't necessarily that big of a deal. Deeper routes, vertical routes, deep out routes, post routes, where you're not so much concerned about timing. You're really just concerned about getting set and delivering a strong, accurate throw. So the quarterback can bounce forward, get a little bit of momentum going forward, and uncork a throw. So when we talk about what this is, is this when we see a quarterback, you know, as you said, get to the top of his uh, steps and when he kind of does it's that little bounce that you see at the top of his steps is that what it is that's exactly right i mean it's i mean you think about a five-step drop for a right-handed quarterback that third right foot when they hit that then they'll bounce forward a step or two and that's the qb hitch step now what, what you see sometimes with quarterbacks is they'll get you know all the way back and, and it seems like they may even take a couple shuffles as they're waiting for a receiver to open up or something like that. Is that something that's built in or is that just a quarterback waiting for the play to develop? That's a quarterback kind of waiting for the play to develop. Uh, 
great example of this draft class is Jared Goff. He gets a lot of discussion about his footwork. I've written about the positive sides of his footwork, the way he slides in the pocket, slide, glide, and fires, the way I kind of described it. But there are times when he keeps the feet moving, kind of looks like he's on that bicycle. Sometimes it's just because he's really just sort of waiting for the route to come open. Other times he's either feeling pressure or just trying to move away from pressure when he doesn't really have to. But usually when he does it, it's because he's waiting for a route to develop downfield. With uh, with quarterback's footwork, and, and it's not something that I typically look at a ton. It's not something the average fan necessarily looks at a ton. Is Is that something similar to kind of what you see in the top half of their motion where – each quarterback has their own little eccentricities to how they move, you know, how they get back and exactly the, the length of stride and so forth. You see differences? You don't really see a lot of differences, particularly on the drop itself. I mean, you'd like to see, you know, on a five-step drop quarterback getting about seven yards of depth or so. I, there's actually an article that I wrote last year on the Combine looking at Winston and Mariota doing a five-step drop and comparing yeah. their familiarity with it. What you see, where you kind of see differences are once the quarterback is set, some guys are more stationary in the pocket. Some guys are almost cement feet back there. Other guys kind of, you know, almost erratic. They're moving around a little bit with quick choppy steps. Footwork's the window into the quarterback's mind and soul. Is basically what you can see. You can see comfort. You can see level of familiarity, level of confidence in the play design and play discussion, play design and the route structure or you see the opposite. If a guy's unsettled back there, you see those feet moving around. Um, so that's why you know, I always like to look at footwork because it gives you a good window into what the quarterback's thinking and feeling in the moment. So is this a situation, and not to get you know all completely spiritual on you here, but is this a situation where it's kind of like the Buddha once said, you don't want to be you know over at one end or over at the other end. You kind of take that middle path where you have some good movement, some good motion, but not too much. That's what you're looking for. I think that's a great way to put it. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for a guy that can move when necessary, but doesn't feel like he has to always be moving. At the same time, you don't want a guy who's just stationary back there because, you know, if he's just basically like st he's stuck in cement, what happens when the pocket breaks down? So you you like to see sort of that middle path, like you said, like Buddha said, actually. Buddha was a smart man, I'll tell you that. Buddha was a QB guru, man. Let, let me tell you, if he was a scout, he would have been all over what you just said there about footwork. We're going to go now to our first guest, actually our only guest of the day. We are joined by John Ledyard from the Draft Wire at USA Today. You can follow him at Ledyard NFL Draft, as well as the Draft Wire at the Draft Wire on Twitter. And John, how are you today? Doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Looking forward to talking some NFL drafts with you guys. Definitely. I know uh, I know. we're pretty stoked. We haven't uh, really chatted a ton since we saw you down in Mobile. Uh, yeah. But in, in terms of, you know, kind of your preparation right now, where do you stand uh, a couple weeks out from the Combine? What types of things are you looking at these days? Well, right now I'm trying to finish up reports, uh, scouting reports for a lot of the bigger-name guys, um, guys that I know people are going to be very interested in uh, at the Combine, how they test and, and things of that nature. And want to finish up those reports on those guys so when they do test i can kind of throw that information in the report and get that out to people um because i know those are where a lot of eyes are going to be hitting so um that's why derrick henry's getting finished up right now that's who i'm working on and we'll have a couple other guys like hunter henry and guys like that that i'll be working on over the next couple 
uh, weeks, I guess, until the combine, trying to get ready and get those guys' reports as finalized as can be before uh, their test scores come in. Who are the guys that you're uh, most interested to see at the combine and in which uh, events? Are there any in particular that stand out to you? Yeah, there's there's a lot. I mean, it's I was actually just thinking about this because I'm thinking about doing an article on kind of who I'm most intrigued to see their workout results. Um, and there's there's all over the spectrum. I want to see some guys like Laquan Treadwell. I want to see him, you know, put to bed these ridiculous four seven forty yard dash times that people <laughs> have been predicting for him. Uh, so I want to see him validate himself. You know, I want to see. There's some guys like that where I think that the, the perception has gone way out of control, but. I also want to see, you know, you want to see how fast can some guys be, how fast can Braxton Miller be, how fast can Will Fuller be. I just finished up his report today. Um, he's got a nice little second gear once he gets going. So, you know, how fast can a guy, Kenyon Drake, be that's flying under the radar? He's the guy I could see having a, a really big combine and then having his stock shoot up as a result because his tape is pretty limited, obviously, playing behind Derrick Henry in Alabama, but a guy that I could see really benefit from it. But probably the number one guy for me, uh, that I'm looking forward to um, is Tyler Higby, the tight end from Western Kentucky. Uh, if he's healthy enough, and he wasn't healthy enough to, to play at the Senior Bowl, but I'm hoping he's healthy enough to run at the Combine. I do think I'll have one of the top uh, scores or uh, 40-yard dash times for a tight end um, amongst this year's class. I think he could run in like the 4-6 range and really vault himself up some boards. I think he'll be a decent amount faster than Hunter Henry and Austin Hooper and even Nick Vanette. Most of those got most people have those four and Jarrell Adams somewhere up in their top five tight ends. And I think that uh Tyler Higby and Jarrell Adams have a chance to maybe make that competition a little closer if they can work out really well and run really well. And I think Higby's gonna do that if he's healthy enough to go. So I'm just hoping that's the case. But he's one of the guys that I'd probably say I'm most excited to see work out. John, have you put your little feud with the Clemson fan base to bed yet? <laughs> I I don't know. I guess maybe. I'm not sure. Uh, some Clemson fans, I got like probably five or six comments the other day from Clemson fans saying, you know, we know Ben Wall Bowler's not a great athlete. We understand uh, what, what you're saying, and, and we get it. Like, don't hold it against us. And I'm like, no, I understand. But, yeah, there was uh, definitely some talk for people who don't know that uh, because I said that. Ben Bowler was athletically limited um, and he wouldn't be a top prospect in the NFL's eyes. And that somehow got perceived as me hating on Ben Bowler, who, funny enough, is a prospect that I've always uh, really enjoyed and, and spoken very highly of on social media and, uh, and evaluations and so forth. But um, somehow that got misconstrued. And uh, I think I saw Fox Sports ran a story on him. Like, you guys don't have anything better to do than run a story on me saying that Ben Bowler is limited athletically, which really isn't even a hot take. I mean, uh, so anyway, I have to wait until next uh, combine to to figure out whether I'm right or not. I guess, but <laughs> John, that's how you know you've made it when you when you are getting woven into the narratives of the draft. That's that's how you know you've made it at this point. You know, <laughs> you you're, you're pretty much you're one step away, I think, from being on first take on ESPN. <laughs> Oh, like, yeah, I mean, honestly, that <laughs> seems like the direction it's headed. I mean, man, we're talking about 2017 draft prospects, too, so John, I mean, when, already ahead of the time. <laughs> when, uh, when you start to dig into some of the prospects here, been a lot of talk that on defense you have a wealth of players in this year's draft, in particular the D-line. Where do you stand in terms of some of the guys that you've seen on the D-line? Who are you highest on heading into this year? Yeah, good question. Uh, it is an unbelievable defensive line class. I think I have uh, seven seven first round uh, grades on 
defensive linemen from this year's class. And when I say defensive linemen, I mean um, three, four defensive ends or any interior defensive line prospects. Uh, all those guys I consider under that umbrella of defensive line. So I really like Sheldon Rankins from Louisville. We saw him in Mobile talking a little bit about with you guys about how impressive I thought he was. Uh, a guy who can do a lot of things. I think he can rush the passer from a three-technique uh, position. I also think he can potentially play spot five technique work if you like to go multiple fronts and can do a lot of different things. I think he's very stout at the point of attack despite not being the biggest or longest guy, but his explosiveness is really what catches my eye. I mean, I'm not going to say he is Aaron Donald, but that aspect of his game is reminiscent of that and the way that he moves in space, um, that fluidity. I mean, we saw a spin move uh, several times in Mobile, and it was just very, very impressive. So he's the guy I'd say I'm, I'm pretty high on. Um, also, really like Jonathan Bullard. I think I'm higher on him than, than a lot of other people. Uh, the opinions on him, uh, I think, vary a lot uh, throughout draft analysts, but I really like his game, the Florida defensive tackle, defensive end prospect. Um, I think he could play a number of different spots. People love mock dra- putting him in mock drafts to Seattle because he kind of fits that mold of a guy who's just going to line up all over the place on the defensive line and, and be successful because he's so explosive and so powerful. Um, you know, he's not going to be the most fluid athlete in space like Rankins is for his size, um, and he's a little undersized at like 285 pounds, so he may not fit every team what they're looking for, and because of that, I think he'll probably – slide, but I also think that ups his chances of ending up with a team that has a really good plan for him and will know exactly how to use him, which means I think he'll have a really successful NFL career when he does get picked. So sometimes that's the best case scenario for guys like that. So those are two guys. I mean, I'm really high on Jaron Reed, too. Some people are dropping him down their board because, you know, maybe he's just a no-stackable man. When you can win on first and second down, and he's going to help a team do that as a starter for years um, in the middle of a 3-4 defense, like people undervalue that now in the draft process, but it's huge if you can do it. Um, and I think Jerron Marie can do that at a high level. So there's other guys, but those are a couple that I'm really looking at in the first round, uh, the prospects that I like. John, if you're a team that needs help at offensive tackle this draft, um, you know the two names, Tonzo and Stanley, are kind of the guys at the top of the boards. But after that, who do you have your eyes on and say like LT or RT3 and 4? Yeah, it's really a top-heavy draft for offensive tackle. Uh, Tunsil, I think, is a generational talent, my number one overall player. I actually have Taylor Decker a couple spots over Ronnie Stanley in my rankings of the Ohio State tackle. I like Stanley. There's been you know, some, kind of some whispers coming out lately, his work ethic, and there's some technical issues. But uh, when I watch him on tape, I see a guy who's fired up to play and seems passionate. But um, there, there's definitely concerns there amongst some teams. So, I like Taylor Decker's game because he's just a power guy. I mean, he's going to dominate when he gets his hands on. So I love that about him. And I think that's enough to make him the second offensive tackle off the board, even if he isn't quite the athlete that Stanley is. After those three at the top, man, it gets thin. I don't have anybody else with the first round grade. Um, you know, my next two guys are Jason Sprades from Indiana and Jack Conklin from Michigan State. And those are really the only two other tackles I, at this point in my evaluation process, I would even consider on the draft second day. Everybody else to me is kind of a third-day prospect. Uh, Spriggs is up and down. He's got all the tools you want. We saw it in Mobile. I mean, he also reps where he he just looks fantastic. And then other reps where he gets whooped. Um, so there's still flaws that need to be worked out. If he can get with a good coach, I think he's tough, uh, and he'll respond well to that coaching. 
um, which bodes well for him and his future, I think. But he has started for four years at left tackle at Indiana, and, and there's still enough technical flaws where it gets me a little bit concerned. Um, I think Jack Conklin probably is going to have the highest ceiling inside. I could potentially see him being a serviceable left or right tackle if he gets a little more forward, but he just isn't that great of an athlete. And I think speed rushers are just always going to give him issues. So maybe he's a guy that kicks inside. So, yeah, it's a thin offensive tackle class. I mean, it's very top-heavy, and a lot of the late-day guys are, are, are very risky picks, I think. John, with uh, as you mentioned, with it being a little bit of a thin tackle class this year, what's it look like inside when you start getting into uh, guards and uh, centers? Is there anyone in there uh, that looks like they may potentially be able to step in on day one and compete at the NFL level? Yeah, there's, there's a number of guys there. I don't think it's the, the greatest offensive guard class, but the center class looks very strong. Um an offensive guard quickly has two first-round grades for Cody Whitehair and for Josh Garnett, uh, the Kansas State guard and the Stanford guard. Um, I think both of them can be day-one starters, and uh, especially Garnett has a very high ceiling there. I think he can, he's very similar to Gabe Jackson, I think, from, from Oakland. Uh, I see them as pretty similar players. Um, Landon Turner, guy that can probably fit in power schemes, gap schemes, uh, same with Sebastian Tritola. I really like Christian Westerman as a guard. I think that he can fit into a number of different schemes, a number who, another guy who's in Mobile, but I think he's uh, got some really good upside as well. Um, and I think Denver Kirkland's another gap scheme guy that's going to move from tackle where he played at Arkansas inside to guard, and I think he'll uh, be pretty successful there as well. But the center class is really strong. Uh, Nick Martin and Ryan Kelly are probably my top two guys right now. Um, very talented centers. I really like Nick Martin. He's actually number one over Kelly, which – um, most draft pundits have it the other way around, I think, but I just really like Nick Martin. I think he's fully recovered from that MCL injury that he had a couple of years ago, and I think he's ready to contribute at a high level uh, and can be a day-one starter with his work ethic and, and nastiness. And Jack Allen's another guy, undersized a little bit for Michigan State, but um, very tough, very technically sound. Um, plays with a really strong base and gets his hands inside consistently, which is key if you're a guy with short arms. Uh, so he wins on that initial contact uh, very effectively, I think. So there's a couple guys, too, as the board going down the board. I think center guys that we could see maybe rise, elevate their stock. I mean, a lot of people said that Max Turek from USC was the top center going into the year, um, and now he got hurt, and so there's question about whether he'll still be there, um, how he'll recover, will he be able to work out, another guy who couldn't who couldn't go to senior bowl. But, yeah, there's a lot of talent at that center class and, and enough talent at the guard class, but guys are just going to be um, resigned to kind of a more one-scheme set, I think. There's a lot of gap-scheme guards. I don't know whether we'll see a lot of guards that can, can play in a zone-blocking scheme and be able to move that effectively um, at the next level. So it might limit them a little bit, but I still think they can be effective NFL players. John, you're doing something right now with a couple of other draft writers uh, called the Team Builder Mock. Why don't you kind of describe what that is, what you guys are trying to do, and how people can follow along, because it's a really cool project. Yeah, it's pretty fun. So it, what Luke Easterling from Bleacher Report actually started the idea, and it's myself and nine other NFL draft writers from various sites around the web. And what we're doing is basically we're doing a 10-team mock draft, kind of, but it's it, we're, we're building a starting lineup. So uh, we have a draft order set. It snakes uh, in the order, and we're building our, our starting lineups, basically. So I can't draft two quarterbacks. 
I have to draft one. There's a little bit of flexibility, kind of like a running back wide receiver flex position. Um, we should draft fullbacks, but, I mean, apparently there's no love for those guys. Also, we're not drafting special teamers. There's only 22 rounds. But I know Chuck's got to be upset about that. I'm going to why It's I why I didn't Chuck participate, I... man. It's why I, didn't, I, 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 I wasn't going to stand for a system that doesn't value me. So, in, in turn, I... Mean, I... <laughs> they're people too they're people too and, and you know i think uh we need to consider that so i'm going to see if we can get a two round two or three rounds added in there maybe get a kicker punter and long snapper added in there but it's been fun uh we have um like i said 10 teams and right now we're about halfway there we're finishing up around 10 right now as i'm looking at it so it's been an enjoyable process it is very difficult picking with uh, nine guys that are this down in because you think you can, oh, if I just wait another round, I can get this guy, you know, he'll fly under the radar and somebody nabs him. Somebody's always up to the prospect that you're you're looking at trying to steal late. So, but it's been fun. It's, it's, it's definitely a fun process, and I'm looking forward to seeing how the teams finish up and what they look like when the actual games start uh, this fall. Yeah, it seems like, seems like a pretty cool project. So I, I got one more question for you here. We've got about two minutes left. Uh, Mark and I have talked quite a bit about Dan Vitale, the fullback uh, from Northwestern. Northwestern. You mentioned uh, that in the draft you're doing right now, there is no position for fullback. We've seen in the NFL a number of teams have abandoned the fullback position as well. Is he a guy that you think has a fit and a role in an H-back situation on some team in the NFL, though? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I really like Dan Vitale. I actually put him as I used the fullback, and I did a Valentine's Day team, which is kind of like draft prospects I had crushes on. And I, I like Dan Vitale because I think he brings more than just the stereotypical lead blocking fullback to an NFL offense. I mean, he's going to be a third-day pick, or he should be a third-day pick. Um, but he still brings value because he can do a number of things well. He can pass protect. He was actually, I thought, out of the backs and tight ends, the best pass protector in Mobile. I uh, did a great job in drills that really favor the defender. I didn't see him lose on the one day of practice that I watched. Um, he can catch the ball well, showed some wiggle in his route, um, the ability to separate a little bit. So I definitely think that he can be a weapon. I mean, in terms of work ethic, personality, locker room presence, all that stuff, he's fantastic. Um, and I think he can be a weapon, and I think he opens some eyes in Mobile. Now, some teams won't use them at all. Uh, they don't use a fullback at all. But, you know, Pittsburgh, for example, they have their fullback. But, I mean, they even had two on the roster this past year. Um, and one of them kind of, Will Johnson kind of worked as a tight end, too. So it really depends on the team. I mean, some teams will have no use for one at all, and other teams will still uh, utilize one on their offense. So if he can find the right fit, I think he can be a guy who contributes to year one because he's pretty NFL-ready in his understanding of the game and uh, in his physical uh, stature right now to be able to go in and contribute right away. John, does the man bun concern you, though? <laughs> it does not at all, man. I mean, honestly, like, look at the dude. Like, he's freaking stacked. If he is confident enough to rock the man bun, I mean, you know, Clay Matthews, he's out there in pitch perfect, too, with his long hair, and, you know, nobody questions his man. It's, uh, <laughs> John, yeah, that's, I, John, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna put out a picture tomorrow of uh, my hair from high school because when you see it, you're get, first of all, you're just gonna be like, that can't actually be you because contrary <laughs> to the way that I look now, I had a phenomenal head of hair back in the day, and it was pretty much about shoulder length. So I'll put that out tomorrow, and we'll 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 see if I can get a ranking on that. How about that? Hey, dude, I'm the same way, man. When I was in high school, I had I had hair down on my shoulder too. I'll try and find a picture and I'll throw it up, and we can. Uh, 
we can both revel in the comments that I'm sure we'll follow. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll we'll do a little Twitter do a little Twitter poll on uh, on who would be taken higher just based on the uh, the high school hair, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Outstanding. Well, John, I appreciate you joining us today, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you having me. Have a good night. That was John Ledyard from the Draft Wire at USA Today. You can follow John at Ledyard NFL Draft on Twitter and also follow the Draft Wire at the Draft Wire on Twitter. That trips me up every time I try to say it, but fortunately, I don't have to anymore. But John, he, he does a great job going through pretty much, I mean, he, it seems like he's just plowing through almost every top 200 prospect at this point. Yeah, I mean, he's doing a heck of a lot of work, and he's doing great work as well. Um, you know, going through guys, pretty much getting through like one or two guys a day, um, watching a ton of tape, but he also does a great job on social media. We talked about it a little bit with his little running with the Clemson fans, but, you know, he'll put vines up and show people, you know, this is what he's seeing on a particular player, on a particular trader, or a particular play. So I, I cannot recommend following John enough. No, he he does a very good job there, and uh, they've been uh, they've had this, the site up and running at USA Today for a couple months now, and it's really come together pretty quickly, I think, and, and pretty well there. So I would highly recommend taking a look over that way. Um, let's go have a little bit of fun for a couple minutes before we dig back into some football, though. Sounds okay. good. Uh, we've got, uh, I believe, when were the Grammys? Was it Monday night? Was it Monday some- night? Monday. Okay, Grammys were Monday night. So. I figure since we are so musically inclined here, obviously music is very important to Inside the Pylon, we figured let's take a look at the NFL player who is most likely to be mentioned in a Grammy-winning song next. Okay, so not someone who's already been mentioned before because there's a number of players that have already been mentioned you know, years ago and everything, and even this year. Who do you think has the best chance of being mentioned in a Grammy-winning song? Player next. Let's see. Because there's a couple um, things you got away. There's a couple things you got away. The first is production. Okay. Obviously, you're not going to get some, you know, some bench warmer uh, who's coming in and being, you know, written about in some type of song here. So you figure it's got to be someone who has production. But beyond that, you also need a name that rhymes with something because yeah. otherwise you're not getting into a lyric. Yeah. Jameis Winston. Okay, I can Jameis see. rhymes with famous. Jameis rhymes with famous. Winston rhymes with you know winning or you could rhyme it with just about. Okay, Jameis isn't a bad one. Yeah, that's not well, a bad bet. You know, plus you know young talented QB. I mean, I, I'm going to go that route. What kicker are you naming? Not naming a kicker. Really? Where are you going? <laughs> you you can't name a kicker in this. This is going to be the one time where I don't name a kicker. You could uh, name a kicker. I mean, come on. There's there's lots of kinds of music out there, my friend. Well, so okay. So my first thought, I'm going through this. I say, okay, Gronkowski, but nothing rhymes with Gronkowski. Yeah. So immediately you say, okay, Gronkowski, not going to happen. Just you got to write that one off there. I'm going. Well, I, I think I might actually change now on the spot, which is ne- never a good thing to do. Never a good thing. It's it's never a good thing to go that route. And no, I'm, I'm going to stick with my original one. I'm going to stick with Odell. I think you know you talk. That's a good call. I think you, especially you talk about you know the swaggy plays with and yeah, everything. That's I a think really you good probably call. go Odell. You can rhyme just about anything with Odell. Beckham, you can rhyme a bunch of different things with. I'm probably going Odell as my number one pick there. If I had to pick a kicker, though, might as well play. Might as well play out the string, right, and see yeah. see who you go with. Nothing's rhyming with Goskowski. Nope. Uh, 
Justin Tucker, obviously, the, the rhymes kind of write themselves. That writes, but, that writes itself, yeah. But, but that might be a little bit too obvious, okay? Um, I may do... Hmm. Hauschka doesn't doesn't nothing quite rhymes, but maybe no. you could do a little play, you know, a little play on words or something. Can't do Catanzaro. That obviously is way too long. Maybe go, maybe go Robbie Gould or someone like that. That could work. You know, I I could see a little something happening with Robbie Gould, especially you know in Chicago, a little bit you know gritty town and everything. I could see something working there. Yeah, that might work. So I guess I did kind of give you a kicker even though i yeah. said that i would i mean you knew you were gonna come with a kicker i guess you know if i had one more name i'd throw out there it'd be josh norman okay not another n- you not, know not carson Wentz. <sighs> i because wentz would make some sense oh wow <laughs> yes sir well done yes sir well done yeah i mean i guess if he gets drafted to dallas i mean it had some sort of like magical rookie year then yeah i could see that happening you know what I always love are the uh, the corny fan songs where they you know they're talking about their team and like they're trying to rhyme all their players with some other word and it just first of all their rhythm is just terrible and then it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, I mean the one that comes back, of course, is New England, the Patriots, and we. You remember that piece of musical magic? Which one was that? That was the '85. Like that was the New England response to oh, the, to the Super, Bowl Super Bowl shuffle. shuffle. That's yeah. oh my oh. People, if you if you have never heard this, Google New England, the Patriots, and we. It is, oh, it is fantastic. It is a, a it's a slice of '80s heaven. <laughs> it's gonna be the one thing that make people forget about us singing. Yeah, please watch it now. <laughs> please forget about us. Please, maybe do. we should sit it next year. That should be the bet. Oh, that. We'll, we'll, oh, maybe. Okay, we'll we'll figure this out. We'll figure I've, I have some out. ideas, but it doesn't make sense to chew up time here. Let's no. let's get back to a little bit of football here. Okay, let's get another glossary uh, term. Yeah, let's let's do a little bit more glossary. And it's one you can break down for us, and that is directional punting. Yeah, talking about uh, directional punting here, and I think it's it's a pretty ripe time to be talking about this, given the performance uh, that we saw in the Super Bowl from Britton Colquitt. Directional punting. All we're talking about here is simply the act of, uh, in, instead of kicking simply down the middle and prioritizing distance, you're focusing more on placing the ball in a specific area. Typically, you're talking about targeting from the numbers to the sideline on either side of the field. And I think one of the biggest misconceptions of directional punting is, you know, first of all, that a punter is trying to hit different shots to different parts of the field. There are some punters that actually do have different drops that they'll play around with for other reasons, changing the ball flight and so forth. But when we talk about directional punting, most of the change in direction from one side to the other is done simply by the punter angling his approach to one side or the other rather than dropping the ball differently, simply because when when you're punting the ball, Really, the, the, the two variables that you have are how you're dropping the ball. So whether you're doing a flat drop, a nose-down drop, uh, off-center, you know things like that, typically you want to keep that the same as much as possible. The other variable that you have is, look, what direction am I actually punting? And so for directional punting, all you're doing, you're not changing how you hit the ball. You simply take a half step to either the left or the right. You go to the left if you're trying to kick back to the right. And the reason for that is because you want to essentially get your target zone where you're hitting the ball back in the middle of the center at the end of the uh, at the end of your approach. So if you're kicking to the right, you take a little half step to the left, 
and then as you receive the ball, you start coming back to the middle and punt across to the right. So that's what we talk about when we're talking about directional punting. Now, how hard is it to like master? Because I've never really even thought about the mechanics involved to punt at the one sideline or the other. Like, is it tricky? Is it really difficult? Like, just explain that because it's new to me. It's it's more mental than anything else because as I said, you're trying to hit the same ball. You're not necessarily trying to change it. Where it gets difficult, and I'm going to do the mechanics as a righty just because that's what most people are most familiar with, okay? If you are a right-footed punter, okay, your ball is naturally, if you're hitting the, the regular spiral that you try to hit over, uh, you know, that's typically your long-distance high-hang-time putt, if you're trying to hit uh, that type of punt, what you're, what you're really going to see on your ball is it's going to bend back to the left. So much like you see, uh, you know, you talk about a curved shot in soccer, you're seeing the same mechanics in a punt. And so what you see sometimes, right-footed punters can struggle with hitting the ball to the left side of the field because they get nervous about that hook taking the ball too far out of bounds too early. And so mentally, sometimes you see righties struggle with kicking to the to the left a little bit. You see lefties struggle kicking to the right just because they're nervous about putting the ball out of bounds too early because of that hooking tendency. So that's, I think, the biggest thing for a lot of punters to overcome. You know, I'll give you an example. Um, I'm trying to think of, of a good one here, actually. Um, but I, I can't come up with one just off the top of my head, but you talk about, you know, the biggest struggles that you see from punters. That's typically what you see most often. Now there are some guys that are just outstanding going to both sides of the field. Colquitt is one of them in the second half of this year. He was about as good as it gets in the league. Uh, Sam Cock from Baltimore, I think is right up there as well. He is absolutely outstanding. He, he is one of those few guys that, you know, he'll hit a number of different, balls in terms of trying to put different flights on in order to confuse the returners and, and so forth he's a guy that just has about every shot in the bag uh at this point excellent excellent very well done man i, I learned something every day a little bit of, a little bit about directional punting here so That's good stuff let's uh let's wrap up the show uh, we've okay. got one last segment here as we have been uh doing recently we've got our twitter question of the day And every day we select uh, one of our uh, lucky or maybe not so lucky, depending on what we're talking about, uh, readers who responds to us on Twitter asking us a question. And today, today our question is brought to us by the wonderful Jeff Lloyd, who is Uh, a who's a friend of all of ours. FOP, friend of Pylon, huge friend of Pylon. And Jeff, if you don't follow him on Twitter, he's a great follow as well. Uh, His Twitter handle is Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. And Jeff asks the simple question, seemingly simple question. Can Mark throw a ball farther than Chuck can place kick a ball? That's pretty easy, man. It's 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 you hands down. You, how far do you think you can throw at this point? Well, here's the th- at this point, I mean, the caveat being I've got a torn labrum in the right shoulder that needs surgery, which I just keep putting off. Um, so I would be lucky to dial it up to 40 yards at this point. I mean, I, I mean, back in the day, I could pro- I could dial it up in the 60s, and that's with pads. Oh, okay. But now, no way. I mean, my my arm would like fly off. 
So if, if we're going to talk back in the day then, because obviously, the look, both of us are past our prime at this point. Well past our prime. All right. right. Let's, uh, if you go back in the day, okay, if we're talking about, if I get just a regular two-step approach, you're probably taking me, because my, my max that I ever had on a two-step approach was 56 yards. Okay. So Yeah, I, pro- I think I topped out at like 61. So if, if we're talking that, you probably take me if I get a full kickoff. Yeah, run if you get a kick at you, right? If, Easy. If I get a full kickoff run up, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't do it every time, but I could hit the ball 70, 75 yards. Yeah. Um, most of the time, I was probably around 65, 63, somewhere in that range. Um, but yeah, it probably depends on exactly how big of a run up I get. Yeah. Uh, and and that's it's it's kind of it's a pretty close question actually. It's cl- closer than I thought. I mean, when I first. You know, heard it. I was like, "Oh man, it's going to be you easily." Especially now, um, he did leave it kind of open ended. He just asked a ball. I mean, I guess you can't really place kick like a baseball, but if it were a baseball, I'd easily win. Yeah, but if you're going to get a baseball, I get you know uh, one of those uh, kickball. You know the spongy guys that you can oh, kick a mile yeah. and a half. There you go. I'll take one of yeah, those guys. Win. And it kind of reminds me of that scene in Tin Cup. Remember that movie? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Do you remember that scene where uh, Don Johnson bets Kevin Costner that he could hit a seven iron longer? Yeah, and he hits it right down the road. He hits it down the road and just keeps bouncing. (laughs) That was a great scene. I love that movie. They just don't make make sports movies like that anymore. No. Well, you know. What's funny is I I find it amazing that you talk about Kevin Costner and the sports movies that he's been in. Oh, some great ones. Well, on the plus side, you've got Tin Cup. You've got Bull Durham. And you yep. sit there and you say, okay, you've got you know two of the great sports movies ever made. And then on the other side, you sit there and you go, yeah, but you've got Draft Day. Ooh, yeah. You know? But you got For Love of the Game, which I have a soft spot for. Now, here, here, here's, a, here's a tough question for you. What's, what is your take on Field of Dreams? <sighs> you want to hate it, but you can't, right? You can you can't hate that movie. You can't hate that movie. I mean, come on. You want to have a catch? Gets you every time. It, Gets it, you right in the feels. It it does. It does. Yeah. It's 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 one of those that you sit there and you say, "Oh, I, I could never tell anyone that I like it." And then secretly you go home at night and you're like, "Field of Dreams ain't so bad." No, it's not so bad. It's suddenly dusty in my living room. Don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> Need to vacuum or something. It just actually, if if you want to talk about movies that get you dusty every time, okay. Armageddon. <sighs> no, not every time. Starship every, Troopers. Every, Starship Troopers gets me a little dusty when uh you know when BA is wiped off the map. Yeah. But uh, in terms of movies that do actually get me every single time, Rudy, hands down. I can see that without a well, question. Well, well, yeah, I can see that. I mean. It's not even the end. It's not even the end. It's just, you know, the, the, in the middle when, you know, and of course the scene where I want Rudy to play in my place, you know, everyone coming yeah. in. Like, oh, it's it, every single time I'm sitting there. I'm like, I was Rudy, man. You know, five foot nothing, hundred and nothing. That could do it. Hoosiers gets me multiple times in that movie. <sighs> you know, I, something to confess, I've never been a huge Hoosiers fan. This podcast is canceled. <laughs> it's good, but it's, it's. It's just it's it's good. Come on, my team's on the floor. I love you guys. Just great stuff. I'm getting chills just sitting here. I gotta hold. It's I I think it's it's good, but it doesn't doesn't quite get there for me. I mean, uh, that that's a fair point, I guess. It I mean, it just doesn't quite get there for me. But Mark, 
we are uh, we're wrapped up for the day. I think we hit a lot of stuff on this show, man. We a lot did. Of stuff. I think John dropped like forty five prospect names on us too. So yeah, if you want to know about just about anyone in the uh, draft, just rewind a little bit. John will tell you. You can also once again uh, head over to check him out on Twitter as well as the Draft Wire over at USA Today. Chuck Zada and Mark Schofield, we are out until tomorrow. Might have another guest on with us then, still uh, doing a little bit of logistical juggling. But we will see you tomorrow on the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast. <laughs>